All right, so uh, good morning to everyone, Cornerstone regulars and guests. Good morning to you. Uh, it is good to have you. I have the honor and privilege of inviting you to point your Bible to the book of Genesis. Many of you know we are taking a break from our verse-by-verse exposition of the Gospel of John, which we had been in for a number of months. We're taking a break in the month of August to uh, look at a house uh, keeping. We're looking at uh, what it means to build the home. We're looking at the ways in which the gospel of Jesus Christ builds family. So last week uh, we looked at how men in family, they lead with the gospel. This, this morning, by God's grace, we're going to be talking about in the, w- the ways in which women build family in, in, with the gospel. And so next week, Lord willing, we'll address parenting We'll look at how we parent with the gospel, and then the last week, which is the one I'm looking forward to the most, we're going to see how the local church is endowed by God to protect the gospel in family. And so uh, that one I'm looking forward to tremendously. But for, the, for, for this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at women. So Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to go ahead and read from verse uh, 15. All the way down to um, chapter 3, verse 16. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, um, you are welcome to use the Pew Bible in, ahead of you. It's hardback in black, and uh, we'll be on page... Well, Genesis chapter 2 is on page 2 of the Pew Bible, so if you can't find it, um, you're going to have some troubles. All right, page 2, Genesis 2. Let's uh, begin reading at verse uh, 18, then I'll pray, and we'll get to work. It should be 40 minutes or so. Genesis 2. 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to um, see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Verse 21. So God... So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on the man while he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with the flesh. And, and, and the rib that God, the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. 
Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Verse 14, then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Let's pray together. Lord and Father, your word is truth. Sanctify us by your truth. Lord, my words are not authoritative in this place, but yours are. So I pray that you would speak through your servant. Such that what I say would be in accordance with your word. And that the women in this place would be encouraged, strengthened, and yes, convicted. To be equipped for faithful service as they build their families on the gospel. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. The most pro-woman book ever written is the Bible. The most pro-woman person who ever lived was Jesus Christ. 1,800 years before Florence Nightingale insisted women have equal potential to men, and 1,900 years before the women's suffrage movement, the Apostle Paul wrote this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, Slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Jesus was revolutionary in his treatment of women. In in a day in which women were treated as second-class citizens, the Lord boldly affirmed the worth of a woman and spoke to her in public, benefited from their generosity, ministered to their needs. Women were among the Lord's most faithful followers, but perhaps most significant, God made women the first witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. It is simply not possible to be more pro-woman than the Lord Jesus Christ. And for this reason, the Lord never degraded women. He was never harsh in speaking to a woman. And he never made the foolish mistake that we often make of treating a woman like a man. More than anyone else, Jesus recognized and celebrated gender differences. For Jesus, women were equal to men in value, 
and they were complementary to men in function. And so this morning we're going to look at what the Bible teaches about how a woman builds her family with the gospel. The title of my sermon is The Woman Who Builds Family with the Gospel. My conclusion is this. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God has uniquely equipped women of all ages and all marital statuses to be the building blocks of family. I have three points and some application at the end. So before we get to the first point, I want to do a quick review from last week. I started this series making the case that human society is built on family. We learned this from Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2, that one man and one woman created by God coming together in marriage and having children is the basis of human society. As goes family, so goes society, which means, among other things, that the strength of society is the strength of a family, and it is rooted in the strength of the marriage. And this is why God is so adamant about marriage. In fact, Hebrews 13.4 says, let marriage be held in honor among all, among all. So even if you're not married, marriage matters to you directly. Marriage is a community project. It is to be held in honor among all. Marriage is a church community project. But the biggest reason that God cares so much about marriage is because of what he made marriage to be. Marriage is a picture of the gospel. It puts the gospel, I said last week, it puts the gospel on stage and it shines light on the gospel. It takes, it takes the gospel of Jesus Christ from being this ethereal thing that God did and it makes it substantive. It, gives it, it makes it tangible. It, it gives it legs. It puts it on the ground so that people would look at it and be like, it's a little bit like that. So as a husband selflessly and sacrificially leads in his home, it pictures the way that Jesus selflessly and sacrificially leads his church. The way that a husband cherishes his wife and nourishes her with his words. He speaks tenderly to her, gently to her, how he graciously takes initiative in the home, how he shepherds her, how he protects her. This is how Christ is with the church. As the world sees him, the world know something of the way God is with His church through Christ. So that was last week. You can pick the audio and video up online. But this week we look at the other partner in this marriage dance, and that's the woman that God made. In the same way that her husband leads family with the gospel, she builds family with the gospel. And we start our work in Genesis chapter 2 at verse 18. Then the Lord said, It is not good that a man should be alone, So he said, I will make a helper fit for him. And then we'll skip down to verse 21. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on the man. And while he was sleeping, he took one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh with its place. Then out of the rib, the Lord God took and he made a woman and he brought her to the man. And then the man said in poetic language, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not 
ashamed. So my first point is this. A man cannot build family alone. God gave man the mandate to fill the earth and subdue it. Well, a man cannot do that by himself. And so God made the woman. God built the woman. It's interesting because in verse 22, the word made actually means built. In verse 7, the Bible says that he formed the man, but he built the woman. It's a different word, and the word built usually refers to the assembling of some complex structure because God built women to be wonderfully complex. And God determined, for whatever reasons, that it was not good that Adam was alone. This homeboy needs help, and so he made a woman. And some people think that just by saying that the woman is a helper is somehow a derogatory term. And I, I, don't, I, don't, I totally don't understand this because I'm sitting here looking at verse 18, and I, there are three people in verse 18. One of them needs help, the other one is the solution, and the other one is God. So you tell me which one of these people needs help. It's the man, and she's the solver, she's the solution. I don't know how that's derogatory in any way. But anyway, God made the woman from Adam's side. He didn't make her from his head. She is not above him. He did certainly not make her from his feet because she is not below him. He made, him, he made her from his side because she is equal to him. God created the woman and then brought her to the man. And so God officiated over the first wedding. And Adam sees his wife walking the aisle with no clothes on, and he spouts poetry. God bless him. Like a nervous groom on his wedding day doing his vows, he spouts poetry over this lady, and he says, she shall be called woman. Verse 24, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The one flesh union of man and woman is the foundation of family. So here's the point I'm making. When God created human society, he gave them the mandate to fill the earth and subdue it. And Adam couldn't do that alone, so God hand-formed for him a woman. And she helps him, she compliments him, she provides him the ability to build family. Their union forms the basis of family and human society. So this is what we've learned so far. Woman was God's idea. She is equal to man, but not identical to man. She is gloriously unique, wonderfully complex, and complementary to man in her role to fill the earth and subdue it. Human society is simply not possible without women. And as we shall see in a moment, her unique role of building family comes with a unique set of challenges because of sin. So this is where we keep reading in chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we can eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the tree, fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So we learn from the book of Revelation that this serpent in the tree or wherever the serpent was in the garden uh, is actually the devil, Satan. And he engages the woman and she entertains a conversation with him. And guess what this conversation is about? It's about the goodness of God and God's word. Did God actually say 
The woman is engaged in a theological conversation about the goodness of God's nature and his word. Now, I, just a side note, I have a confession to make. As a, as a pastor, I need to confess to you Christian ladies that for too long we have allowed women's Bible studies to be little more than fluffy, emotional, about one inch deep theologically treatises on your uniqueness as a snowflake made in the image of God. If I, if I see another Bible study on an upside-down reading of Psalm 139, I'm going to puke. What is this except a subtle way of saying to women that this, the feel-good parts of the Bible, the fluffy parts of the Bible are for the ladies, but the deep, heady, weighty theological matters, we'll give that to the men. And that's just wrong. Women are more than capable of tussling with theology and untwisting the difficult texts. And the, and the church of Jesus Christ needs hard-thinking female students of the scriptures. I personally have benefited tremendously from the rich, God-centered theology of women like Gloria Furman and Nancy Guthrie and Jen Wilkins and Melissa Kruger and Elise Fitzpatrick and, and Jackie Hill Perry. But more than anyone else, I have tremendously benefited from the deep, insightful, practical, Christ-centered theology of my wife. So women, don't ever believe that you're not capable of heavy theology. My wife is living proof that you are. So that's my rant. I'm over with that. Let's uh, back to Genesis. The enemy of God comes to Eve and he tempts her. And see what he does? He tempts her to put herself in a place where she questions God's word. She's making a judgment call over God's scripture, over God's nature. Did God actually, is that what God actually meant by that? The implication is subtle, but it becomes really blatant in a moment. She responds to the enemy's temptation pretty well at first. She says, no, God didn't say that we can't eat from any tree in the garden. We're allowed to eat from the fruit of the tree of the garden. We just can't eat from this one tree. Now she adds to the scriptures. There's a couple of things to to note there. But the serpent then goes on and he sure shows his cards. And he he just outright contradicts God's word, doesn't he? In verse 4, he says, The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. God said you're going to die, but you're going to die. So he contradicts God's word. And then he twists it. He says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. You'll be knowing good and evil. You see what he's saying? He's saying, Eve, sweetheart, God is holding out on you. He's lied to you. You won't die. His restrictions are keeping you from being you. His restrictions are keeping you from enjoying your life. From enjoying pleasure. Don't you think that God wants you to be happy? To know good and evil? Do you think he wants a stupid girl? This has been his tactic from the beginning. To question God's commands. To question the goodness of God. He's just, women, God is restricting you. He's withholding from you. you. You go and you be like God. You determine what's right and what's wrong for your life. You follow the inner voice. You don't need anyone to tell you what to do. You're a woman. Be strong. Be free. Roar. Well, she buys it. And she gives into temptation and she eats. And she gives some to her husband who was with her the whole time. 
doing nothing, saying nothing, probably on his armchair, playing video games. We dealt with him last week. And sin enters the world, and they feel shame, and they make fig leaves, and they try and cover themselves up, and they hide from God, because that's a great idea. It always works. And then God comes to them, and the curse of sin on their life is heavy for both the man and the woman. Skip down to verse 16. This is what God says to the woman. To the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. The effects of sin on the woman are twofold. Both of them, by the way, involving her ability to build family. First, she will have pain in bringing forth children. And secondly, she will have pain in dealing with her old man. Sin will have a great effect on the two most meaningful relationships of her life. Her relationship with her children and her relationship with her husband. Both of which, of course, are necessary to build family. First effect is the sin The first effect of sin is the pain of childbearing. Now, I've never personally experienced that pain. I've watched it four times. I can confirm. It seems like it hurts. So this is right. But I think birth is, there's more than just birth indicated in these verses. For some reason, the Lord repeats himself. Child rearing, I think, is also probably inside this. Child rearing is particularly painful. A woman's, God has made it so that a woman's heart is so interwoven with her children that their well-being becomes her work and their joy becomes her delight and their pain becomes her pain. Their suffering becomes her sorrow. From toddler to teenager to adulthood, there is pain in being a mom. And you never stop being one. The second effect of sin is this. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. The word contrary in the ESV is inserted there by the translators in a way to attempt to describe the nuance of the word desire. For here in this passage, desire indicates a want to control. She desires part of... Part of the sin, the effect of sin in her life is that she'll desire to to be in control. That's why your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he will rule over you. In God's design, the man has the headship in the home and in the family. And her desire will be, because of sin, to take charge and to take control and to take leadership. Did you notice how at the tree the roles were reversed? When God speaks to the man in verse 17, he says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Now, God's not mad that Adam took, that Adam listened to Eve. As a a husband, I often find that my wife has the best advice of anyone. So God's not mad because Adam took her advice. 
Most of the time, she has the best ideas. Sin entered the world when the role of marriage was reversed. The woman took spiritual lead in her home. Adam was supposed to lovingly lead her and protect her, and he did nothing. He stood there and did nothing, said nothing. She's having a theological conversation with the enemy of God, and he's doing nothing. He's not leading her. He's standing there. So she took lead, and the role was reversed. And this role reversal will plague every marriage until Christ returns. And as woman continues to follow her mother Eve, as she questions God's word and questions God's goodness, she will tear down the very thing she was built to build. She'll snap at her children and nag at her husband. She'll manipulate him with her attitude and emotions. She will seek to get her way through sex, pity, She'll withhold from him until she gains control. She'll nag at him until he caves. She'll criticize him and cut him down and disrespect him and show her dominance. She will misuse her husband and her children in some futile attempt to get out of her life what she mistakenly believes God is withholding from it. She will believe the lie that God has been keeping her from being free, from being herself from realizing her potential. And she will take it out on her family, the thing that she holds most dear. And this will be the plight of every woman until Christ returns. But there are good news in this passage and in the rest of Scripture. What Eve destroyed, Jesus Christ came and rebuilt. What Eve lost, Jesus redeemed. And through the womb of the woman, God would send his son to undo the great evil that Eve did. The woman gave in to the serpent. Jesus crushed his head. What Eve broke in the Garden of Eden, Jesus fixed in the Garden of Gethsemane. The poison that Eve released at that tree, Jesus drank on another The reality is, sisters, every woman here is guilty of the same sin as Eve. You have also entertained a theological conversation about God, doubting His word, doubting His goodness for you in His word. And you have failed to bring Him glory in your obedience to His commands. And you have brought devastation on your own life and on your children and on your husband. But because your God has loved you, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to drink the cup of the wrath of God over your sin. And on the cross, Jesus took the sentence of your sin, paid the penalty for your pride. Jesus went to the cross and paid for your sin so that you wouldn't have to. And if you've never confessed your sin and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ to be made right before God, I pray that you do that today. For the effects of sin from the first woman and the effects of your sin have been reversed. And if you depend on Christ 
you can be made right before God. And through him, you can and you will do the very thing that you were made to do. Build family. My last point. If you want to turn your Bibles to the New Testament book of Titus. Titus chapter 2. If you're in a pew Bible, that's page 998. Titus chapter 2, it's in the New Testament towards the back of your Bible. We're going to read a few verses from Titus 2. We'll we'll return to this in a couple of weeks, Lord willing. Titus chapter 2, beginning at verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to do two things. Love their husbands and their children. And to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Skip down to verse 10, towards the end of verse 10. So that in everything, they, that's everyone in Titus 2, may, look at this phrase, adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. As we wrap up, here's what I want you to see. The effect of the gospel on your ability to build family. As you trust the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, here's what happens. Verse 3, older women are equipped to teach younger women. And did you notice the two things that, the first two things that the Apostle Paul tells older women to train the younger women to do? To love their husbands, and to love their children. The very two relationships which were affected by sin. Notice how also the whole issue of building family is a community affair. Women training women to love their husbands and children. We need one another. And we'll spend some time on that in two weeks. Notice also that there are some things, this love of husband and, spa, uh, of, and, and children, it has to be taught. Now, this occurred to me a very strange thing as I was reading it this week. Who needs to be taught to love their children? It seems to me a very natural thing to love your children. And your husband, if you didn't love your husband, why did you marry him? So why do we need to be trained? seems to me that there are some things about loving our husband and loving our children which doesn't come natural to us, and it needs to be taught. It seems to me that that word love means more than just affection. We need mature women to train younger women. By the way, that word older in Titus 2, that's, the Bible celebrates words like old. 
Don't let the culture define what God's word means. Old is a good thing. Older woman is a good thing. Wear your age with pride. God designed you to age. It's not an accident that you age. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. Embrace it. The whole church would benefit from women who embrace their age, not who fight against it with Botox and surgery. The last thing I want you to see in Titus 2 is how the Apostle Paul connects the integrity of God's word to women living out their God-given mandate. We saw this in, at the end of verse 5, that the word of God would not be reviled. Your building of your family, sister, on the gospel protects the Bible from blasphemy. And look at the end of verse 10, showing faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of our God and Savior. Specifically, this is talking to someone else, but the principle is still at play here. Our walking out the commandments of God in Christian living and in the home adorns the doctrine of God. And all of this, for the Apostle Paul, is connected to verse 11 and 12. The word for means because. Because the grace of God has appeared. You see, in Paul's mind, family life is a gospel issue. And so I'll end my time with you, giving you four practical ways that a woman can build her family with the gospel. Four ways women build family on the gospel. Number one, show the beauty of God in submission by deferring to your husband's lead. Show the beauty of God in submitting to your husband deferring to his lead. Philippians 2 teaches us that even though Jesus was equal with God, he emptied himself and took the form of a servant and became obedient to his father. And so as you defer to your husband's leadership, you model the gospel, the message that Christ who emptied himself did so for his father's glory. You empty yourself by setting aside your divine privileges and wants in order that your husband will lead. Number two, build the gospel, build on the gospel by respecting your husband. Use your quiet strength to respect him. Use your words to build him up, not to tear him down. If God has given you daughters, train them how to respect their husbands. Make your home a place where your husband is honored, not degraded. Make your home a place where he wants to come home to. Remember, your children will speak to your husband with the words that you teach them to use. Number three, make your home an environment which is saturated with the gospel. Make it a place where God is praised, where words Encourage where sins are repented of and forgiven quickly. Your home is your domain. Your influence extends far beyond the way that it's decorated. Your influence goes to all parts of the way your home is managed. 
It extends to how your children carry themselves, what they think about themselves, what they think about the Bible, what they think about God. It extends to your children's education. It extends to the, what your children eat. It extends to how they play. It extends on, on, on social media that they're involved with. It extends to what they watch on television. Of course, your husband is the head of the household, but everyone knows, ladies, you run the show. We know it. So make your home a safe place, a place of joy, a place of hospitality, a a welcoming place. And number four, build your family on the gospel by serving your sisters in Christ. Make it a priority to seek out relationships with other women in the church. Help them as Titus 2 has commanded you. Regardless of your season in life, there is some woman in this church that would benefit from your help. If you can't draw a straight line between your life and another woman in this church, start drawing lines. Become friends with a woman in the church. We, this church needs strong women to train up other women. I hope, my hope as your pastor is that if there's a woman in this church who is wrestling with the idea of leaving her husband and children, that she would do so having to jump over the other women in this church and stop her ears from their pleas to stay. That we would lay our lives down, that marriage would be held in honor among all.